0: Keep your Bibles open, then turn over a couple of books to Paul's letter to the Galatians. If you keep moving beyond Acts, you'll find Romans and First and Second Corinthians, and then you'll find Galatians. Paul is writing. Let me just give you a little quick background here. The Apostle Paul is writing Galatians because it seems that there are some zealous Jewish Christians who have infiltrated the churches of Galatia, and they are teaching and preaching a different type of gospel. You know, the word gospel means good news about Jesus. So they're teaching a different gospel than what Paul originally introduced to them. And here's what they're saying. They're saying, before you can follow Jesus, you have to become a good Jew. So if you're a good Jew, first of all, if you're male, you're going to be circumcised. That's a sign of the covenant between God and his people. Second of all, you're going to follow all of the Jewish regulations and laws and ritualistic expectations. So before you follow Jesus, you've got to become a good Jewish person. That's what they're teaching here in the churches of Galatia. So Paul's combating that teaching and saying, no, all you have to do is to believe in Jesus and that's it. Now, the interesting thing is if Paul had not addressed this heresy that you've got to become Jewish and follow the Jewish law before you become a Christian, if Paul had not addressed that and had not been successful, then Christianity would be a sect of Judaism. You would first of all still today become a good Jew, and then you might seek to follow Jesus. So that's why the book of Galatians is so important, and that's why over the next several weeks we're going to talk a little bit about what's packed in your gospel, what's in your gospel, what's contained in it, and Paul addresses a lot of the basics, the essentials. So let's read out of uh, chapter 1. Uh, Beginning with verse 6, in the first five verses, Paul offers a greeting to the churches in Galatia. And then verse 6, he launches right into his argument against these Judaizers. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you by the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel, which is really... No gospel at all. Evidently, some people are throwing you into confusion and are trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than the one we preach to you, let him be eternally condemned. Or your translation may say, cursed. Cursed. Boy, Paul's really, really preaching. He, he's starting out from the get-go telling them that they're going to be cursed if they preach a different gospel. And as if they didn't get it the first time, look what Paul does again. As we have already said, so now I say again. If anybody is preaching to you a gospel other than what you accepted, let him be eternally condemned or cursed. So if you didn't get it the first time, he's hoping you'll definitely get it the second time. Message sent equals message received. Am I now trying to win the approval of men or of God? Am I trying to please men? If I were still trying to please men, I would not be a servant of Christ. I want you to know, brothers, that the gospel I preach is not something that man made up. I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it. Rather, I received it by revelation from Jesus Christ. For you have heard of my previous way of life in Judaism, how intensely I persecuted the church of God and tried to destroy it. I was advancing in Judaism beyond many Jews of my own age and was extremely zealous for the traditions of my fathers. But when God, who set me apart from birth and called me by his grace, was pleased to reveal his Son in me so that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I did not consult any man. Nor did I go to Jerusalem to see those who were apostles before I was, but I went immediately into Arabia and later returned to Damascus. And then in the next few verses, Paul talks about some other locations and people that he saw. But then go to verse 22. I was personally unknown to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. They only heard the report, the man who formerly persecuted us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy. And they praised God because of me sisters and brothers in Christ this is the word of the Lord and together let us say thanks be to God well I'm I'm going to be honest with you I could hardly believe that our pastor was speaking that way to one of the members of our congregation but he did. I was the uh, youth and education director in a church where I previously served many years ago. I was doing that in the last part of college and into my seminary days. And we had a senior adult in our congregation that I'll call Ed. And at the end of our our worship service, we had a time that was called the concerns of the congregation, and Uh, Our pastor would come down, stand on the floor, and he would share concerns and announcements about our community of faith at that particular church. And periodically, this senior adult, unannounced, would stand up, interrupt the pastor, and begin waxing eloquently on some particular subject that he thought it was important for the rest of the congregation to know about. Maybe he thought the church was not being as faithful as they should be in their attendance on Sunday morning or in their financial giving. Maybe he thought they were not sharing their faith in Jesus enough or they were not willing to invite new people to come to the congregation. Maybe he thought that they were not taking the right kind of stand on some social issue of the time. Keep in mind now, this was 35, 40 years ago, some social issue of the time. So he would stand up, interrupt the pastor, and talk for three, four, five minutes. So every Sunday morning, we all would kind of hold our collective breaths. Is Ed going to stand up and speak today? Well, one Sunday morning, Ed stood up and spoke. So after the worship service, I was in my office. And so my office was here, and the secretary's office was here, and the senior pastor's office was over here. So I was doing some things, wrapping up my morning in my office, and I heard Ed and the pastor talking over in the pastor's office. I was not trying to eavesdrop in any way, but I mean, my door was open, and his door was open, and I couldn't help hearing what was said. The, the pastor gently but firmly was was confronting Ed, and he was saying, "Ed, you're speaking to the congregation. You're doing so uh, in kind of a finger-pointing, judgmental fashion. At times, you, you have a harsh tone to you, Ed. You need to change." And Ed was having nothing of it. In fact, at one point, I remember Ed saying, "But I just can't change. I can't change." And that's when I heard the pastor say what I couldn't believe. He said, Ed, you can change. I know because I've changed. Because, Ed, if you had stood up, and I'd been the pastor of this congregation 25 years ago. Now, the pastor at that time was in his early to mid-40s. He said, Ed, if I'd been the pastor of this congregation 25 years ago, which would have meant he was in his late teens, early 20s. He said, and you had stood up in the middle of the the, uh, worship and interrupted what I was doing? He said, I would have punched you out on the floor. I'd never heard a pastor talk like that before. But I just thought it was kind of interesting that um, after that time, Ed's verbosity in worship kind of decreased a little bit. I don't know if it's because he saw the error of his ways, or maybe he was afraid that the senior pastor might revert to his old patterns of behavior, of getting into fights with people. But whatever the case, I just remember that Ed's acting out in worship diminished at that point. And I thought about that story this past week because you know one key element of what's in our gospel according to Galatians is that you and I can change. Ed said, I I just can't change. And the fact is, Galatians, in fact, the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ says, you and I can change. You really can teach an old dog some new tricks. Now, you know, Paul would hold up his life as an example of someone that Jesus changed. He would hold up his life as an example of someone of being an old dog who learns some new tricks. Maybe you're familiar, at least somewhat vaguely, maybe more uh, deeply with Paul's conversion experience. You can read about it in Acts chapter 9. If you know the story, Paul is at this point Saul. He is a Pharisee, as, as he mentions here uh, in Galatians. He, he is one who was advancing in Judaism far beyond his years and far beyond other people of his age. He was very zealous about practicing the Jewish tradition and the Jewish laws. And Paul saw Christianity as a threat. He saw those who followed Jesus as a threat. So he was on his way to Damascus. And according to Acts chapter 9, the text says that Paul was still... Breathing out, listen to this, murderous threats. Murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. So he was on the way to Damascus to arrest women and men, to take them back and to throw them in, the, in jail in Jerusalem. And suddenly he's on this road and a blinding light flashes. Paul falls to the ground. He doesn't see anyone, but he hears a voice. And it's the voice of the risen Jesus. And the voice says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Boy, that got Saul, Paul's attention. And you know, on that day, the blinding light, the voice that he heard, on that day, Saul changed. Saul becomes Paul eventually, his Greek or Roman name. On that day, Saul, or Paul, And one writer calls him a religious terrorist. You ever thought about the Apostle Paul being a religious terrorist? On that day, a religious terrorist becomes one of the greatest missionaries and theologians of the Christian faith. Paul writes almost one half of the New Testament, 13 letters out of the 27 books of our New Testament. On that day, a persecutor of the Christian faith becomes a preacher of the Christian faith. On that day, when he heard that voice and saw that blinding light, a fanatic Jesus hater becomes a fanatic Jesus lover. On that day, Saul becomes Paul and he completely changes because of the light and the voice. He changes in a heartbeat. And, you know, interestingly, as far as I can tell, no one is threatening to beat Saul up because of this change, to encourage this change. He's just living into the promise that a changed life can happen by the power of the Holy Spirit. It's what this sermon is about. You need to go back and read the entire sermon that that Peter preaches in Acts chapter 2 that we just read a portion of. When the Holy Spirit comes into your life, there's something that shifts in you and me. There's something that changes. There's something that's, that's different. And what Peter preaches on Pentecost Day, now in Acts chapter 9, becomes a reality in Paul's life. Now, how did this change take place? Well, I want to kind of review through looking at a couple passages of Scripture that we'll put on the screen. I want to review just a couple of Scriptures that we've already read this morning out of Galatians. So, first of all, Paul is writing the Galatians because he sees the threat. He understands that that's what's in their gospel is not correct. So he says, from the get-go, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you by the grace. I want you to hang on to that word. By the grace of Christ. And are turning to a different gospel which is really no gospel at all. Evidently, some people are throwing you into confusion and are trying to pervert. That word means to turn about or to change or to corrupt the gospel of Christ. So Paul understands that it's by God's grace, and he sees the change that can occur in our lives. They are are, uh, deserting the one who called them by his grace. Now, the next scripture Paul writes a little bit later in chapter 1 For you have heard of my previous way of life in Judaism, how intensely I persecuted the church of God and tried to destroy it. But when God, who set me apart from birth, that, that word literally means in my mother's womb, from the moment of conception, God set me apart and called me, there's that word again, by his grace was pleased to reveal his son in me so that I might preach him among the Gentiles. I did not consult any man. I was personally unknown to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. They only heard the report, the man who formerly persecuted us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy. And they praised God because of me. Now, thank you for putting that on the screen. You you know, Paul's change, the old dog who learned some new tricks, Paul's change took place only because of God's grace. You know, I heard years ago a great definition of grace. You take the five letters of the word, G-R-A-C-E, and grace means great riches at Christ's expense. Great riches riches at Christ's expense. Grace is God's unmerited love. Grace is God's undeserved favor. Grace is amazing grace, as we sing it. How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, and I once was blind, but now I see and I've been shifted and changed, as that great hymn goes. Grace is what made the difference in Paul's life, and it's why he could say, hey, when I changed, they praised God because of me. Now, I'm just kind of wondering this morning, do people look at your life, and do they see something different about you? When people look at your life and they listen to you speak, they see your attitude begin to be manifested through your words. When they see a piece of your heart and who you really are at the core of your inner self, when people look at you and experience you and are with you, do they see a change and do they attribute it to what maybe God has done in you? And are people praising God? because of the changes and shifts, because an old dog has learned some new tricks and it's pretty clear. Are people praising God because of you? You know, sometimes I think some of us think that maybe because we've not had a dramatic Damascus Road conversion experience like the Apostle Paul, that that maybe the changes that have happened in our lives are not really that big a deal. But you know, the reality is Changes and shifts in your life really are a big deal to you. Something that's not a big deal to me might be a really big shift and change for you, and vice versa for me. The fact is, we all can change, and for us, it's dramatic when it happens. Might not be dramatic for another person, but it's dramatic for us. Sometimes it might be an addiction. That's overcome. You know a lot of us think well. Hey I'm thank God I've never had an addiction. I've never been addicted to drugs. I've never been addicted to alcohol. I've never been addicted to tobacco. I've never smoked. But folks don't fool yourself. Everybody has an addiction. Some people have a sexual addiction. And pornography rules and reigns their lives. Some people have Food addictions. You know, I told you not too long ago that I'm convinced that for a lot of years I was addicted to sugar because I love sweets. And I think there's some of you who are addicted to sugar. and sweets, you have food addictions. There are some people who are addicted to a certain type of attitude. They gripe, they complain, they whine, they gossip. You've got an addiction. Don't, don't fool yourself into thinking, oh, I don't have any addictions. Everybody's got an addiction. And the fact is, it might be that you've overcome some addiction that for me is not that big a deal. For you, it's major. It's big league. It's big time. Sometimes some of us experience a loss that has resulted in a grief in our life. And finally, that grief has been healed. Did you know that whenever there's a change in your life, it usually means loss? And all loss must be grieved. So sometimes the losses and the changes that we experience in life are good stuff. We're moving to a new house. We're moving to a new job. We're moving to a new location. But we grieve the old house. We grieve the relationships that have been lost. We, we lose something or have a change in our family. You know, when my son Philip went off to kindergarten, I grieved for six weeks. You might think that's strange, but for me it was big because every day I came home, for lunch and he was there and suddenly he was not and I griped and complained about why does the public school need to keep kindergarten kids till 2.30 in the afternoon they ought to get out at lunch every day well you know that wasn't a commentary on the, on the uh, appropriateness of the Pitt County school system keeping kids to 2.30 it was really a reflection of my grief my son wasn't home and I missed him and when he went off to college I grieved his leaving it was a good thing and you know, I inherited a son-in-law and a daughter-in-law. At some point, it was a good thing, but I kind of grieved for a while the fact that our family dynamics would forever be changed. All change means loss, and all loss must be grieved. And ultimately, those grieves get healed. See, that's a change, and we can learn some new tricks. We old old, old we old dogs can learn the new tricks. Sometimes it's a bad habit that's amended. Sometimes it's a new commitment that we're going to focus on the good of others and not always focus on what's best for me. Sometimes a new attitude gets birthed. Sometimes a significant sin gets forgiven. I go to God and I name God. This is what I'm dealing with. Thank you for forgiving me. Sometimes The forgiveness is that I just forgive myself. And sometimes the forgiveness is that somebody else has wronged me and I forgive them. But often, a significant sin is forgiven. A new perspective arises. New spiritual practices and habits are developed. I once did not read my Bible on a regular basis. Now I'm doing it. I once didn't take prayer seriously, now I'm actually doing it. I once didn't take worship or serving other people seriously or sharing of my financial blessings seriously, but now I'm doing it. A new spiritual practice gets developed. Folks, do not ever say that change and conversion cannot happen in your life because it can. Do not ever say That an old dog can't learn new tricks. Because if that reality is not so, then guess what? There's really not any hope out there that we can be saved from ourselves. We are forever going to be in bondage to these addictions and these bad habits and lack of commitment and new perspectives and the forgiveness of sin. We're going to forever be in a mess So you see, our good news, our gospel does say that old dogs like Ed in my former church and Saul who became the apostle Paul and you and me can learn some new tricks. But just understand that those changes do not happen by themselves. They do not happen automatically. They do not happen by accident. Understand that those changes happen one way and one way only. G-R-A-C-E. It's God's grace. Working in your life and in mine.